entrepreneurship is great, but can also seem overwhelming. Wouldn't you like to know the pros, opportunities, and problems with different business and investment strategies before you jump in? Well then, welcome to Entrepreneurship Exposed. Oh man, I'm, I'm kind of feeling the beat of that intro. <laughs> welcome to another episode of Entrepreneurship Exposed with your guy Bees. We are here. And I know I say this on every episode. I, I do. I realize that. But I'm excited about this conversation today. In particular, because I feel that, you know, first of all, I love seeing other people in my industry, right? Especially people of color. But this particular gentleman, our guest today, he and I have very similar beliefs on certain things. When we were talking earlier about, you know, social media and talking about, you know, not trying to be in the public eye all the time because we're not trying to be influencers. We're trying to continue being businessmen, being investors, acquisition specialists. So I'm excited for this conversation. I feel like this is going to be really good. And I want everybody to join me and welcome Brett Ibitda Holcomb. Brett, what's good, my brother? How's everything? What's up? What's up? What's up? Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate this. This is, this is amazing. I feel energy already. I feel like I'm on CNN. There you go. <laughs> we got to bring energy to everything that we do, right? I, it's funny because sometimes I'll be in a you know relaxed mode. It's like, ah, uh, it's been a long day. But if I got to come on live or I got to do some sort of interview, I pop into B's mode. I'm like, let's go. There you go. That's <laughs> you're a professional, man. You're a professional. That's what you're supposed to do. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. We got to do it. That's how we do everything. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell the people exactly who you are, what you do. Because that's going to set the, the pave the way for everything that we got to discuss today. Okay. Well, my name is Brett Ibada on IG and Brett Ibada Holcomb in other areas, but most people know me as Brett Holcomb. I've been an entrepreneur for, excuse me, I'm a recovering entrepreneur. Okay. I stopped being an entrepreneur a couple of years ago when <laughs> I, I discovered this thing. It's an important fact recovery. Yes. Prior to that, 25 years. Riding that roller coaster of entrepreneurship, figuring out everything. This was well before, you know, we had all this information on uh, World Wide Web. And yeah, had to figure out a lot of things, had to read a lot of things, had to fail at a whole lot of things. Just generally just did probably 17 different businesses in the earliest stage. Uh, I mean, just basically 28 years of entrepreneurship, everything from retail to debt collection of all things, to a lot of real estate. Just figured out a lot of things. I figured out mainly how to do things wrong. So I took those lessons, brought them into today. Uh, four years ago, I was asked these two magic questions that changed the trajectory of my path. And those two questions, I actually heard them. I repeat them all the time. The question was, well, if 96% of businesses fail, right? Why would you want to start a business, right? I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, why would I want to start? Why not just buy a business? Then the second part of that question yes. is, well, if only 4% of businesses do over a million dollars, why not buy a business that's been in business for 10 years that does over a million dollars? There we And that's the game changed from there. I just, everything shut down. At that point, I retired. I stopped doing what I was doing and I just went on this path of acquisitions, you know, 
double-digit acquisitions down the line. Here we are today, um, and glad to discuss. I got so two things. Two things I got to ask you. First and foremost, if you don't mind saying, you could just give a range. But approximately, how old were you when you had that revelation? Man, you are you over here trying to date me, huh? I, I see what you're doing, dude. You're it's on purpose. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna explain why. Man, I I think I mean I'm a little older, so I was probably 47, 46, 47. So in the forties already. Okay. Yep. I'm wondering because somebody told me that they feel that I'm talking about with acquisitions and such. Maybe it's for older people. I'm like, why would you say that? Uh, I know many people have done it as you know early as in their twenties. Once you My learn, that you can do it, it with no money out of your pocket. What'd you say? I said, my son is doing it. He's 16. There you, there you go. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the first thing. And we're going to dig deeper on that too, because I want okay. to, I want to go through, you said the exact thing that made me say, yeah, this is what, yeah. what I need to do. So to yeah. me, I need to be doing it too, but it doesn't always happen that way. So I'm, I'm, yeah. we're going we're to dig into that in a little bit, but I want to go back to one other thing that you mentioned. You said that back in the day, uh, you know, doing research for, you know, how to start a business, et cetera. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to date myself too, because I'm, I just created a, a, some new content on, on that today. I told you that I was filming some uh, reels and content yeah, for yeah. social media. And on it, I was talking about back in the day, you're going to start a business and wanted to figure out, do it. Got to look for the Encyclopedia Britannica or something. Yeah. <laughs> now, Google and everything is there and there's more information than you can even sort to sort through. You don't even know which direction to go because there's so much access to information now. So what is what are your thoughts on the amount of access to information and how do you how does somebody like sort through that, parse through that and to determine what route to follow? Yeah, man, that 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 is the million dollar question, isn't it? You know, I can tell you what I do anytime I enter industry. I have a I have a system. I look at I'll go to YouTube first, right? YouTube University. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna look at my goal is to find 10 people who are doing that one thing. And I'm just gonna listen, I'm gonna watch their videos, I'm gonna consume, 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 I'm gonna take notes. A, I'm looking for similarities. So it's almost like building your KPIs if everybody keeps repeating the same thing. You can aggregate and say, here are these five to seven core functions of this particular segment, right? So then I'm 80-20 that, and I'm going to say, okay, who do I like? Who resonated with me the most, right? And then I'll go deeper into them. So maybe I start entering their funnel. Most of them have funnel, as we know, right? I'll start entering their funnel. I'll get there. No, honestly, I'm going to get everybody's, you know, free information, because again, I'm aggregating, right? But I'll then hopefully one or two of them will have a book, maybe three or four of them. I'm buying all books around that subject. I start learning that a little deeper from the book. You go a lot deeper into it by reading books and the subjects on it. And then finally, I'm just buying courses. I, I, I truly believe because I know how I work that I'm going to find a value in a course. Like if someone is teaching good enough information, I'm going to get to extrapolate that value and I'm going to make it happen. You know, we talked about courses earlier. We'll get on that, I'm sure, down the line. But that's my that's my methodology is I start wide and I narrow down. It's just like a, a literal funnel where I come out with one or two people that I really like. I still consume other people's content for innovation. Right. And just seeing 
you know, who has what teaching style. I always find that when I'm looking at 10 people, someone always says something key that's different from the others. And if I could patch all those together, I have a really innovative thought within that. And then, you know, I work my outside magic to complete it. But that's that's my process. There you go. I love that because you're you're immersing yourself in the industry. It's not just, oh, I got one quick recipe from somebody and I'm going to run with that. Nah, you want to immerse yourself in the industry and kind of create your own path based on the recipe that each person is uh, laying out for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I definitely like that. But what about analysis paralysis? Right. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people focus on, hey, I got to get more info from multiple, multiple people, but I don't actually do anything yet with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, it's that natural chemical dopamine. Right. And so we talk about this. It's just like essentially people are get addicted to information. Right. And we call that the information doing gap. Right. And so so anything is a gap. There's a gap in anything. You can get information and that dopamine rush gets you satisfied. It's just like when you buy a course or you go to a conference or something and it's like you get the word. It's like being in church. You get the word. Right. And then you come and you're motivated. But, you know, motivation wears off. Right. And so those disciplines that you have to get to those habits, to get to that lifestyle is the driving force of it. And unfortunately, very few people can push through to get to that. So, you know, I don't know if I answered that question, but but to me, the antidote is get addicted to doing. I learned one thing and one one time, I'll give you this quick thing, and maybe this will help people, is that you should analyze your day on how much you're consuming versus how much you're doing. And I remember there was one time in my life where I was consuming like 90%. And I was only doing 10%. And then the outcome showed up. I wasn't getting the money I was want, wanted to get. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing I was smart. As a, I was sharp as a tack, as they would say. But mm. at the end of the day, that lack of action did not allow me to move forward. So I, would, I, I had to measure that. I heard this. And then I had to flip-flop that. I, wouldn't, I still probably do 70-30, but I have to make sure I'm in action mode at all times. Mm, I got you. I got you. That's a really good tip for people. Measure your day to see how much action versus how much doing that you're actually getting done. Mm-hmm. So uh, how much information you're delivering versus how much action that you're taking. I love that. I love that. Now we got to get, we got to jump right into this eight figure behavior, right? Okay. What is that about to you? What does that even mean to you? <laughs> I mean, eight-figure behavior, man, like, you know, again, through, through this journey, especially in acquisitions, right? And, I, and you can attest to this. You realize that. So first of all, let's just go to some statistics. And this is where I, I pretty much reverse engineered into this. And so the first st- uh, statistic is that there's about $2 trillion of what they call dry powder, right? Where money has not been allocated. This is specifically through private equity, Right. Money has not been allocated to projects. In order for these folks to make money, they take money and they allocate it to get a return on it. If the money is sitting on a sideline, they are essentially losing money, right? That's the first thing. That's the first caveat. I also learned that these same private equity firms, they typically do not start looking at smaller businesses until about $10 million in revenue 
two million dollars, maybe one million dollars at this point, one to two million dollars in EBITDA, or let's just simplify that and just call it net profits, right? And so I also learned that. So I was like, okay, so at 10 figures, things change. I remember in the past, secondly, in the past, I remember applying for loans, right? And they would ask on the application, are you a small business? Are you enterprise level? And in parentheses, it would say 10 million or more in sales. And what I realized is when you got to $10 million or more in sales, a lot of times you did not necessarily have to be a personal guarantor on some of this. This was back in the day. I don't know if they do it now, but that was important. I was like, why is that? So I just dug in. More like $2 million now. They've lowered that threshold. Say that again. They've lowered the threshold now so that you could get corporate credit if it's if you meet some other things. I think it's like two million now, but you also have to have a bunch of other things like yeah. X amount of tax returns. X yeah. Amount of, yeah. But I remember that word enterprise, mm. right? So I dug deeper into that word is the, is the point I'm making, right? And it's like that word meant a lot in business. It says that. At the enterprise level, you're no longer considered an entrepreneur. You run an enterprise. So you're typically graduating from entrepreneur to CEO because you now have a team in front of you of professional management. You have professional, typically professional SOPs that, you know, really manage your company. You have professional financials, even audited financials. You become a serious company. Mm-hmm. Right. And and those are the measures. And I just remember, like, man, I don't want to. And, and at that point, technically, you own a business versus, you know, being self-employed. You go back to Kiyosaki's thing. A lot of us, when we start businesses, we are just like specialists. Right. I could be an HVAC guy and I'm really good at HVAC. So I decided to go into my own start this business. I might have hired a tech or two. Suddenly I got an admin. Now I got a business. But I'm still self-employed. I'm still marketing. I'm still doing all the work, so on and so forth. So enterprise level says that you have a management team or management layer in front of you that now considers you a professional business, similar to EBITDA, hence my name. Do that. I love that. Now, I got to apologize to the listeners because I'm literally in a monsoon right now. It started out of nowhere. <laughs> and that might be what's causing the, the breakups. Oh, Maybe right. You got, you got that storm coming through there. Yeah. yeah. It came out of nowhere and it's bad. So yeah, hopefully I can't hear it, but I know it might be causing the breakups a little bit. But okay. anyway, we, we as entrepreneurs, as investors, we keep navigating around any obstacles that we find. We're going to keep going, these. <laughs> We're going to keep going. We're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going. So, But here's the thing, Brett. I believe, and I love that we're talking about eight-figure behavior. Because that behavior is, first, we need to focus on the mentality, the mindset. Because most people don't even think they can get to eight figures. Okay. Most people don't think they can get to nine or 10. They feel yeah. that, that that's not attainable. So what type of mindset is necessary to get that, to start that eight-figure behavior? Whoa. That, we, we, that's, that might be part two, right? Just that part alone. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the key mindsets, though, is, See, at one to two to three million, even honestly, you can be a one man show in today's world and get to one million. You might be able to get to two and three million as a one man, maybe a two man. You got an admin, you got a VA, whatever, just something light. 
But to get to, ten, to eight figures, to get to 10 million or more, it's going to take beyond your efforts typically, right? And so the first thing is understanding how to let your business, part of your business go. Understanding first how to delegate the things that you are not good in and finding someone who is really good at that thing, bringing them in. Here's a caveat to this. Not only bringing them in, bringing them in competitively. And I mean that from a salary perspective, from an incentive perspective, not nickel and dime, because a lot of us are small business owners. We like to, everything is discount. We're all in scarcity mode. We're trying to save money. But to think about bringing in, how do I compete with a large company, bringing in talent with someone that could take me to the next level? So I think first, that's the mindset is understanding, A, how to bring people on board, how to allow them to flourish without you, how to hire smarter people than you are, especially in specialized subjects, how to move from being, you know, the do it all entrepreneur to staying in your zone of genius and then hiring people for their zone of geniuses. So now you have a bunch of specialists versus a bunch of generalists. Mm. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Like I said, we can keep going all day about this, but mm. I think that's the first, I, I find that that is the biggest thing is that when, when I work with smaller businesses, it's that letting go and believing that someone else can do it better than you can and if they cannot do it better than you can can you hire two people that do it at 70 percent to equal 140 percent of your efforts and be okay with that so it's oh, yeah. all mindset at this point definitely definitely and i love that there that concept that perspective of okay i may not be able to get it at 100 percent of me but that's 140 percent of me that definitely works out. I, I love that perspective. And that's an important mindset shift because mm -hmm. everybody focuses on, no, it just needs to be me. I can make it perfect. Nah, but you can't scale yourself, mm -hmm. right? So, so that, that is critical. Now, but here's the thing. What about, and this is just another aspect of that, of getting to that eight-figure behavior, being the face of your company. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be the face. They want to be on social media talking about their company. So you're asking me what my thoughts are? I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be the CEO. Say that again? Oh, you delayed. So are you asking me what my thoughts are? I think you were saying something yeah. else. Yeah, what, no, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts uh -huh. on being a CEO? Man, it's a great debate of personal brands versus business brands. And you and I talked about this, that, you know, we old school New Yorkers. And I was telling bees that, you know, I act like, I've been selling dope for the last 30 years and my picture could not be snapped. You know, I'm like, Jay-Z, the last thing you wanted was your picture snap, right? And so I act paranoid and I haven't done any of that stuff, right? It's just, I learned how to build business brands. That's where I cut my teeth at. That's what I'm really good at. The personal brand thing, I understand today it is very necessary. So it's almost like the analogy of a rocket ship, right? where that personal brand allows you, it builds up all the energy to take off, but it can only get you so far until you reach orbit, then you need another jet to get to the moon, right? And then another phase. And so you have to understand how to get, to let go of your personal brand, replace yourself as you bring in more specialists, you build from a business perspective, you allow other personalities to inject themselves into that business, 
And now you now have an organization versus an individual. You can still have your own personal brand, but that brand evolves around amongst time. Like you're no longer, you know, staying in one mode and being the, the Mr. Everything. You're not the face anymore. You're trying to inject other people so you can let go gradually. And now you're building an organization where other personalities can come in that more people can connect with to grow your business essentially. And that's branding, you know, in modern day times, business branding one-on-one. Yes, yes. Now, I find that there's a difference between influencer versus business person, <laughs> you know? Like, you could be online building that personal brand and you could get tons of uh, followers, likes, but that doesn't necessarily mean they convert to sales, right? And, and that's the key, I think, where a lot of people get mixed up. Hey, I want all the followers but you're not converting mm -hmm. them to sales. You're not mm -hmm. growing at that, that eight-figure mindset, mm -hmm. right? So what are your thoughts? Are you active on social media? No. <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> hey, 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 you know what? My stories are popping. I'm going a, I'm to a hit you with these quotes on these IG stories <laughs> all day long. You're going to get this story work from me. That's about it, though. Haven't posted anything. There we go. Gonna there. Probably in two months. There you go. And... and I'm going to be honest, and most people know this too, all the posting that I do every day is because I have a team that helps me to mm -hmm. get things going. Yep. You know, I got a process that is, uh, okay, here's some content. I'll film, like today, I'm filming, and then I'll have content for the next couple weeks, right? So I prepare for it, but I don't go on it and post. You know, I'll, I'll right. dab in here and there and then start interacting and engaging with people. That's not my main concern. And I think we're in the perfect industry where we don't really care about it that much because in order for us to make money, we're doing things back here, which is yeah. acquiring businesses. So well, we don't really need the followers. A, a lot of times you're acquiring the talent that does that, right? Yes. And, and, you know, this is a great time to break in and talk about you. I actually watched your podcast, right? <laughs> and so I think it's a great time to plug what you do. And, and what you do is you know, in today's time, first party data. And so you're buying, you're buying your audience. You're buying that attention. So you don't have to, you know, do all this marketing to draw people. You already own your audience. You know how to go out, buy an audience around a particular business. And now you can just drive, you know, your business into that very targeted audience and get results from that. So if I can do that, why do I, I don't have to say a word. Exactly. You know, that's that inside secret, bees. you know. No, I was asking you which, which episode you saw. Oh, yeah. Rolling. Yeah. I think it was Rolling Frazier uh, Business Lunch. You did that recently. That was good, man. That was really good. I like that. I like that strategy. That's always been mine as well. You know, once I find something that I'm looking for, I'm going to attack it from so many different ways. And, and you've done that. That's really cool. Yeah, that, that it makes sense, man. We got to often... People, and this is part of eight-figure behavior, I think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll get an obstacle and then we complain about the problem instead of figuring another way around it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, okay, last year, iOS 14 really messed up uh, targeting for, for ads for a lot of people. Yeah. You could complain or you could pay a whole lot more extra money because it's, it's bad targeting or... Yeah. You could be an entrepreneur. And that's what I, you know, aim to do. 
as an entrepreneur. Yeah. As a, see, he could be an entrepreneur and solve a problem and say, oh, here's the problem. Okay, well, if we can't go through it, let's go over it or let's go around it or let's go under it or hell, let's just go through it. There we go. You know? So, so I normally do this at the end of the episode, but I'm going to do it right now because my concept of something I've been pushing is the trillion dollar table. And it came from Brett. Brett was the first person I heard that mentioned a trillion where we can create a challenge and have everybody in a room at the end of this decade where we have a trillion dollars assets under management. Normally, I ask my guests, will they be at that table? Will they be in that room? And what avenue are they going to take to get there? But I already know your answer. So explain to me how, explain to the audience how your business acquisitions, honestly, will help you to get to uh, that table of the trillion dollar uh, room. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, I think, I think what we're talking about in all of this is essentially scaling talent, right? So... You know, for me, I'll go out, I'll find, I, I like to say I partner with people. I don't acquire, I partner. I create partnerships, alliances, as I call it. I have this 3A concept of assets, alliances, and acquisition. And so essentially, I think the alliance is the most important part. And so it's, okay, can we take in people who are already moving? So I like to take people who have, you know, a high mid six figures to seven figure businesses. And then I like to help them drive to eight figures. I like to partner with them to get them to eight figures. Typically that's through the grabbing of assets. That is through, you know, the alliances, understanding how your various alliances, anything from affiliate marketing to cooperation works, right? And injecting that. And then of course, acquisitions for that massive speed. And then obviously all the organic push and marketing and things of that nature. Um, but I think that to do that at mass, you know, you start little by little, you start scaling through things like, you know, you'll create funds, you'll create capital raises. So from one side, there are people who want to deploy money because they're not entrepreneurs. On another side, you have people who are entrepreneurs that you can invest in, and then in the middle, you have a bunch of professionals that can help, you know, really clean up those businesses and drive scale and growth to those businesses. So I think if you took that myriad and you put that all together and you really drive for those results and drive for that growth, I think it's really, really a lot of this, man, is like, it's about what's not there. It's about this alchemy of business. It's about creating value versus what value is there. I think we get stuck on where we are versus what else can we create to create more value. And so when we talk about assets under management, it's just literally assets driving up the value of an asset. And so for me, that's why I said, that's why it's from seven figures to eight figures and then it'll be nine figure exit. Then it'll graduate to nine figure businesses. Then you'll go public. And so between all of that, going public, reverse mergers, you know, agglomeration, right? All these different terminologies, you know, funds, all these different things that drive up massive, A, drives massive capital to something, and then secondly, drives up massive value from the conversion of those, of that capital. That, that's how I plan on getting to it. And if you can get enough people involved, you'll hit the number. 
Yes, sir. I love it, man. I, I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm excited about this challenge and it's entirely att- attainable. So, uh, you know, people, but, but there, there goes the thing when people hear that trillion dollar table, trillion dollar room, they get nervous. They say, oh, that's, that's crazy. I can't imagine that. Yeah. Did I ever tell you how I came up with that? Imagine it. It's about if you're going to execute on it. And we only learn two ways with one of these M's, mentors or mistakes, right? And you started off by saying that you're willing to get courses, you're willing to learn, but there is an influx of courses right now with so many people are like, oh, I want to I want to learn how to make money. And they bought into these courses and now they may feel a little, you know, like, hey, I don't know if this is too much. I don't know if I overextended myself, right? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I the, think- the whole infotainment, <laughs> whole info entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, I think everybody has this place. I think that people really do know what they know. I think that information is absolute in some cases and that if you actually participated, once you bought something, you did the work and you walked through it. Most of these courses actually do work. I do believe in e-learning, right? What I do know, though, is that people are not buying the course. They're really buying hope. They're not buying the course. They don't care about the course. They want the dopamine. We go back to this dopamine rush that makes you feel like you completed something by buying a course. That is good enough for most people, which that is the problem. Like people will sell these courses and they know that 95% or so of people will never do this work. Right. And they're not necessarily held accountable, nor should they. Honestly, they shouldn't be held accountable. It's up to you to do the work. I can't make you do the work. I can only give you the information. So have no problem with it. It's just it's human nature that is the problem. It's not about the work, the, the information. It's about the people who buy the information, why they buy the information, their lack of discipline the lack of habits to actually execute on that information. That's really what it's about, you know, but, you know, we're in again, but the one thing I'll throw at the info uh, marketer slash guru, I like to call them gurus just to shake some feathers, right? <laughs> one thing I'll say about them though, is that I'm, they know what they're doing. They know that they're, they're triggering on people's emotions to get them to buy things. And they also know that their people are not going to use this stuff. So really it's just a money grab. So if you work it from both angles, you could say, hey, look at what I have. And as a result of this was my success based on what me following this program, right? That whole program honestly could be obsolete, which a lot of them are, they need to be updated, right? So they know that. And so now people are so more infatuated with the event and not the process. So they're buying the product for the event because they think they're going to have the Rolls Royces and the, and, the, and the Lambos and all that stuff and the big house and all of that just from buying the course because if they could do it, they convinced if I could do it, you could do it, but we don't talk about things like timing, right, which you and I talked about. 20, 2020, 2021 was a beautiful time for many people selling things online, right? E-commerce, e-learning just exploded because people were at home. People were had stimulus money, right? People were getting unemployment. So they had money to spend. There was fear in the marketplace. So 
People were looking for stability. They were looking for hope. So it was the best time in the last, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years to sell hope. And that's what they did. And I'm not mad at it. So my opinion in a nutshell is that I think e-courses work. I think people don't. Ooh, people don't. I love that. That, that is the truth. So now that is critical just for six figure behavior before you even get to eight figure behavior. You got to put in that. Yeah. Part, right? Yeah. Now, the, the benefit, though, like you mentioned, in terms of ongoing things versus outdated information, when you're acquiring businesses, every deal might be different. Right. So it's always new things that I learn. There's new things that come, I come across that I would then pass on to my students. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, yeah. what have you seen? And, and we're about to get into our pop segment right now, as a okay. matter of fact, because for that eight-figure behavior, mm -hmm. it's time to pop that bubble, okay. right? And we want to know what are the pros, the opportunities, and the problems of getting to that eight-figure behavior. Okay. So I, I got to remember that pop. Okay. But the pros, oh, man. I mean, the pros are that you literally can change your life in one afternoon. Like, you literally, you can go find a business you if you know how to structure a business you and you become a deal maker you can structure that business where you're not using any of your money to get it or if you have some money and you know how to deploy it properly you can get quite a return on your money for deploying that money into a cash flowing business not like a static not it's not buying crypto. It's not buying stocks, right? I mean, I know there's dividend stocks, but it's not enough for most people to live off unless they put a lot of money into it, right? You're talking about something that you can go out and buy. You can go out and buy a million dollar business. You can go out and buy a $10 million business, literally, and change your life in one afternoon. So that is like the massive pro. And you don't necessarily need your money to do it. So that's your pros, right? The opportunity is, you know, the $31 trillion tsunami that's coming, right? And that there's this big exchange of uh, from baby boomers to people with shiny object syndrome yes. and for other, whatever other reason yes. under the sun that people are selling businesses and they are exchanging hands. I, I have this term that, you know, I call it buy their street. People, you know, real estate folks talk about buying the block. I talk about buying their streets. And what I mean by that is buying main street businesses, right? Going and buying their streets, going and buying their main street businesses, and then modernizing that. So you're taking main street and turning it to mainstreet.com or mainstreet.io and making it a technology company, right? And with media and all the different things that people did not do. And so there's a huge arbitrage that allows for a massive, massive level of growth by doing that. So I think that's a huge opportunity. The problem, the problem is just like anything else. I, I you know, I, I'll tell a story with the problem and I go back to, you know, the gold rush of 19, uh, 1849. And the problem is there were some people who were striking gold in 1845, but no one was listening to them, right? Yep. And meanwhile, they're just striking gold, striking gold. No one's listening to them. The, one of the biggest problems is that we are a Me Too society, right? And we, we have to wait for someone else of significance to tell us 
that, hey, man, there's this huge opportunity right here. But you and I, Bees, you know, yeah. hard to tell our people what's going on. They got to see someone else do it that may not look like them and enough to and it's got to get into the media. And we typically are the last people to join any opportunity. And by the time we buy it, where are we at? We're in 1852, where we're buying the Levi's, <laughs> we're buying the forks, picks, shovels, and we missed out on the gold. We're buying the crap. We're buying the lower end. We get in at the lowest level because we're scared to take that jump in the beginning. So I employ people to start thinking like it's 1848 because that's where we are. You and I both know that because we just keep scooping these things up. You know, time people get caught up to this, we'll be nine and ten figures up with this in revenue from buying this stuff. You know, so I think that's the problem is that we wait. We're a waiting to see uh, culture and we just have to see someone else. And I'll say one last point to that because that's like my pet peeve, right? I'll say that. I, I posted something, and it's funny that so many people reposted this Jay-Z thing to break down his pie of a billion dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I tested maybe 20 people on this. I said, so what do you see about this pie, right? What, what jumps out at you? And, you know, you get all these crazy answers. But the obvious answer, the really obvious answer to you and I, of course, right, is, wait a minute, he bought Duce, he acquired Duce. He acquired the Ace of Spades brand, and then he acquired Title, which made up for 55% of his portfolio. So he became a billionaire by acquisitions, not by organic growth. Yep. That and is so it. people are not paying attention to that. So, But if Jay-Z started talking about it, yeah. we'd have a floodgate of people running towards it. Yep. Yeah, you're you're 100 right because I hear people all the time that say, "What you talking about? Nobody talking about." That's not true. There are mm -hmm. people talking about it, just not the people that you want to listen to, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody in our community of noteworthy status that is going all in on it and talking about yeah. it. They going all in on it. Yeah. Jay Z's all in on it. Yeah. But he he ain't talking. He's about not it. talking about it because that that is that next level information that you know the, he's not ready for the masses to know yet. And it, and it's just but like you said. Don't study me, youngin. Study my moves. It's really that simple. Yeah, study the moves. <laughs> I, I love it. Study the moves. Study the moves, man. So you, you know that it goes back to when you're saying for problems, it goes back to mindset. That's really what it That's is. That's all because it is. If you got all, if you got all the information and you see people doing it and you see it executed, but you still don't want to execute it until you see someone like Jay Z talking about it. That's mindset. Yep. You know? Yeah, that's limited beliefs. That's 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 literally limited beliefs. That is opportunity cost. A lot of times there's a lot of times when people are too focused on what they're going to lose versus what they're going to gain. So that loss aversion opportunity cost and they're not properly weighing that they're not looking at, hey, if I put some energy into this, I could quadruple how much money I currently make and like six to 12 months. I could quadruple it and have a cash flowing business that if I do it right, I don't even have to work in. A cash flowing asset. And, and I love that you said that. Do it right. You don't even have to work in it. That's another mindset shift because people yeah. feel 
I have a student that told me he, t- he waited so long to join because he thought it was like buying another job. He bought another business, yeah. he would be buying a job. Then he yeah. realized, no, yeah. if you stick with the strategy of does it have enough cash flow to hire an operator in it? So now it's just operating uh, passively for you. Why wouldn't you want to do it that way? Yeah. You know? I, I will add to that, Bees, that I think some of the best, the people who are going to do the best in this are going to be pe- people who have jobs. I like the re- mm. I like the constraints that these people have, right? And so now they have to buy right. They have to do proper due diligence. They have to buy proper management and look at them as partnerships, right? Because they have a job. And, you know, I believe that that it is another form of investment, just like anything else. It is a little bit more hands-on, but I think it scratches a itch for a lot of people. I know you know plenty of people who make six figures and they just feel like, hey, man, I'm making this company millions of dollars and I'm not seeing that. This is an opportunity for them to go out, buy something, and they make their own money and they see it and then they can inject their skill sets and then whatever their their network skill sets to drive up the value of these businesses and continue buying more and more of them until they can quit or want to quit. Some people love their jobs. They wouldn't quit it. But this is another form of could be passive income. I don't really love the term too tough, but because you do have to do some work. Right. But at the end of the day, very low, low impact work where very low effort work in a certain case. Yep, in certain cases. And, and so so that leads me to what are your preferred industries to acquire in? Man, you know, you know, I'm a lifestyle guy, man. You know, I I I if if I can find a business that takes me around the world and I can go to all these dope events and make money from these events while being in that business, that's ideal. Personally, I haven't found one yet, right? They're pretty, they're all taken, right? But I will find one. But what I really like, man, like, you know, my my background is heavily in, you know, I would say retail. I, I'm a people person. Like I was telling you, I've probably done over 100,000 transactions, just hand-to-hand over 20-plus years hand-to-hand transactions, right? So I got to know people extremely well. So I understand the psychology of people in masses, whether that's, you know, whether it's sociology or whether it's the psychology of one-to-one. So I like to, I like businesses that have a direct-to-consumer base. I do like those. But here's what I really like. I like manufacturers. I like to turn, I love vertical integration. I want to be able to make a product and then deliver it directly to that customer, skipping all forms of the middle if I choose to. Obviously, I can distribute because I'm a manufacturer. So for volume, I can find distributors and wholesalers. But I love going directly and owning my own customer. So that is like really my ideal business. No particular industry, but something where I can deal directly with that customer I know that I'm strong at offers, branding, positioning, all that stuff, sales. So for me, anything along those lines, I, I, I would flourish in that. So, and, and you prefer, hey, let me see the numbers. Is it a good deal? Rather than, nah, I'm not interested in that industry. 
What do you? What? Which do you lean toward? <laughs> Come on, bees. <laughs> you I know that. I know that. You know, you know, look at some numbers, you. baby. You know, <laughs> we got. What you mean? I'm gonna look at all numbers. You know, that's why I'm in industries that I never thought I'd be in because I looked at the numbers. But you know, again, man, I, I one thing that I know I'm an innovator. You know, I'm very creative. Um, and but then I learned business down the line. I know I learned the numbers. So I. I have this mix of the two, and then I have strong people around me. So for me, I'm going to evaluate the numbers. I'm going to see, I'm looking, you know, everything for me is 80-20, right? Everything. I go down to the name. I want to know what 1% will get me a 51% result, what 4% will get me 64, and then what 20 will get me 80. And that's what I want to know in that business right off the top. So for me, if I can get to that quickly and it makes sense and I see opportunity to scale, especially that 1%, if I see, man, they're missing a pill on this premium, on the premium revenue uh, base of this business that I know I can scale, I know the numbers grow exponentially and that excites me. So, you know, I like numbers. I like industries. Like I said, I didn't get to my lifestyle yet because I'm so busy finding these boring businesses in these boring industries that no one's looking at. So it's taking me to all these obscure places to look at them. And, but I love them, you know? Well, I got a great uh, uh, deal that we're going to talk about later. So okay. the numbers okay. look great and everything that you like, uh, you're going to love this. Okay. One. Okay. We talk about that offline. Yep. 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 <laughs> but, um, but Brett, Hey man, I think like we, this conversation could go on forever. Uh, I love these type of conversations. I love sharing this to the world for people to see that it is possible for them. To, it is possible to get to a billion dollars, to be in a trillion dollar assets under management room, right? The possibilities are endless. Yep. We just have to yep. uh, have the right mindset and then get the right information and execute. Yep. Most importantly, execute. Yep. I, I so, mean, right. just to add to that, I think it, it's just, that magic word, man, you know, and it's, it's overused and you hear it all the time, but it is the ability to scale it, it and it's scale. It's not just like scaling a product or something. It's the ability to scale everything. Right. And I, I just think that people don't understand. I use leverage a lot versus the word scale. Right. Um, but essentially it's being able to say, hey, I'm in this industry. So we take that manufacturer and we say, man, if I can put that product in all these different markets in front of these other customers, if I can venture with these other folks or acquire other areas where I know my product would work, A, I'm going to massively, massively grow my revenue and scale that business from that perspective. I can then sell that, get money, go up to the next one, just like Monopoly. Right. Hey, we did this. We know we know how this bees. Right. Fifteen million. We owe. we got a 12, uh, uh, you know, a 20 percent. So we got three million. We got a 12 times multiple because we built it up to a 12 times multiple. What's that times three million? Where we at? Twenty six million. Let me get my money. Now, let me take that twenty six million. Let me move into this hundred million dollar business. And we just keep going. Exactly. That's, if you heard a lot of stories about billionaires. That's what they did. They just traded up. A lot of people didn't start where where they ended up. They started somewhere, sold something. They had a liquidity event, which is really important. Nobody really talks about this. 
because what did I just say? It's quick lesson on this. I'm going to wrap it up off of this, but this is important these, for, for who we're talking to. Like when we talk about these multiples, right? You look at a multiple as years of profit. So that example I just used with a 12X, that means that if I sold that business, I got 12 years of profit for that business. So a lot of people want to have these egos and just keep going. And you don't realize that like your most vulnerable point is owning the business. You are always looking for a liquidity event to get the money out. Right. So 12 X, that's 12 years of profit. If I can realize that in one day and then go rinse that rinse and repeat and keep growing that you will amass so much money. It's ridiculous. So I just thought the need to say that because when people use the term uh, multiple, they don't simplify it to say that a multiple is merely years of profit. I love that. I love that. Question for you. Did you ever watch the rise, uh, winning time, rise of the Lakers dynasty on HBO? Man, I didn't watch it. And everybody's telling me to watch this. I did not watch, watch it yet. Watch it, Brett. It's, it's so awesome to watch when Jerry Buss was buying the Lakers and how he did it. And he basically is doing the same strategies that we bought. Great. It's a great watch. <laughs> okay. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out. Right. Well, my brother, thank you so much for coming for another episode of Entrepreneurship Exposed, where today we exposed eight-figure behavior with my guy, Brett. Brett, tell them where they can find you. Oh, man. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I'm not heavily on social media, so you can find me. If you want to find me on IG, it's Brett underscore Ibada. Um, you can email me at Brett at eightfigurebehavior.com or, yeah, LinkedIn under Brett Hokum. We'll make sure that all of that's added in the uh, summary below. But, Brett, thank you so much for coming on. Man, thank, thank you for having everybody. me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Everybody, you already know, likes and subscribes to this channel. If you want more content like this from Brett and other entrepreneurs, where we expose everything that you want to know. See you on the next episode. Let's go. Peace. Thank you.